Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'm going to read the first seven verses here. As we've been meditating, getting ready to talk about the Ten Commandments, and I'm hoping you it's going to be tricky, but try and keep the motivations we've had in mind for, for obedience. We've talked last week about gratitude for God's sovereign, rescuing, loving, loving delivering grace. That's, that's what makes us belong to him and then affects the way we live. And then the week before that, we looked at God's mission in that when we keep God's commandments, we, we act like our Father in heaven. And in that, God shows off himself among the nations. He's using our obedience to be a light to the nations as well. and At least pique their curiosity and comment. That's what we talked about. So today we're going to jump into the first commandment. And so let's listen to the, the context uh, to God's word. This is the word of our God. It says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And this is God's word. He has actually spoken to us today. Uh, spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, as we see the light of your face shining upon us in Jesus today, um, I, I pray that that would move our hearts, that we would grow in our love for you. And so, as we grow in our love for you and for your son, Jesus, who loved us, um, may we as a church be known for our commitment and our faithfulness to Jesus as a people who keep the first commandment. And for that, we need your spirit to be at work in us, among us, and to lead us and to guide us. And we ask that you would do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, as Christians in the world, we, we, we live in a world that, that has two competing, radically different views as to what the good life is, um, as, as to what shapes our decisions and why we do what we do, right? So here's one, one expression. This, this comes from Justice Anthony Kennedy. Uh, he wrote this back in 1992 uh, in, in an abortion ruling. And he said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own conception of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of the human life, right? So did you hear what he said, right? That here's the good life. This is, this is the American dream, uh, that you are most free 
when you have the most freedom to decide who you are and what you're going to do to the point where you can define the existence, define the universe, define the world in which you live, right? Or here's, here's another expression of that same thing. This one's written to teenagers, right? No one else can tell you who you are. Only you can decide that. And this is really important, getting your identity right, living that out, being true to yourself. These are the things that are vital to a happy and healthy life. It's down to you. Who are you? See, the Ten Commandments starts in a completely different way. because This is the, the competing view of a different good life, that the good life is a life lived with the Lord your God who loves you, who brought you out of slavery and says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, life without God, with this God, the God of the Bible, is slavery. And life with the Lord your God, living according to the Ten Commandments, that's freedom. Having the Lord your God command you it's the only way to be free, right? Put it a different way. Freedom is letting God's commandments, God's wisdom, shape your thoughts, shape your goals, control how you spend your time, your money, uh, shape how you view politics. It'll put boundaries on your love life. It'll control the words in which you use and the tone in which you use them, right? In other words, all of life. And if you, if you, it's really testing you. Do you believe what Jesus said? That if you abide in His words, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so let's start with a confession. Which portrait of the good life, the life lived with God under His gracious rule, or the life lived under your own rule? <laughs> Which one is your heart longing for? Right. I decide what's good for me, or God decides what's good for me. Remember, you're in church. You have to be honest. <laughs> right? We should all say yes, because that's the, that's the battle of sin, right? We're, we're drawn to both. And so we need our hearts persuaded yet again uh, that this commandment to have no other gods, to be fully committed to the Lord your God, and to do that before his face, right? that, that is good for us. Right, that's what the Torah is showing us, that it's much easier to take Israel out of the house of slavery than it is to take slavery out of the heart of Israel. Right? Over and over again, we've seen, you know, life was a lot better when we were slaves in Egypt. We had full bellies. Life was amazing, completely forgetting when their kids were slaughtered. Right? I mean, in Numbers... They actually plan a coup to kill Moses, appoint a new let leader, undo the whole exodus, and let's just, let's just go back. All right. And by the time you get to Joshua 24, after part of the promised land is taken and the inheritance is given, and it says, you know, God has been faithful to every single one of his promises, Joshua is still pleading with Israel to say, choose this day whom you will serve, the Lord your God. Or these other foreign gods that are still among you to this day that you brought with you from Egypt. Right? Even after all that, 
goodness and, and grace they've received, they still haven't gotten the first commandment down. Israel has a bit of Stockholm Syndrome in love with their captors, and they, haven't, they have not been set free, which is the story of every sinner, right? We still have things we love that compete with our love for our God. And so the argument we're going to meditate on this morning is that the first commandment is calling us to give God what he is owed because of his grace, uh, total allegiance to the one who loved and delivered us. Right? But it's also for our good because a life that, that makes any other commitment a greater priority than the Lord, right? that's going back to slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to self, slavery ultimately to death. And so let's, let's see how this first commandment is for our good. Right? What is the first commandment saying? One of the big ideas um, that I'm going to repeat for each of the Ten Commandments, this is a great way to understand how to read these, is that whenever God forbids something, at the very same time, he is also commanding and requiring its opposite. In other words, God isn't just saying, stop it ten times. (laughs) He's at the same time declaring what is good, what is true and beautiful and pleasing in his sight. Uh, we get that idea because this is how Jesus summed up the law. It's, it's, in, it's how Paul summed up the law. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the whole, all of law-keeping can be summed up by the command to love. So it's not just have no other gods before me. It's you shall love the Lord your God. Right? Love in these particular ways. And so even in doing that, you start to think about the commandments, that, that they're laying out the love that you owe God and you owe your neighbor. You're already, God is already going to work on your slavery to yourself, <laughs> thinking about others. All right? And so, if it's not just saying, have no other gods before me, it's also, this is what God is saying here. You shall have me as your God, me and me alone. So just listen to that gift. The gift in the first commandment to Israel is this infinite, eternal, and holy, and generous God, the great I Am, giving himself to finite, dying, selfish human beings. He says, I rescued you. I am your God. You are God alone. And so... Another way to think about this, right, as a pastor, I get to officiate weddings, and in the traditional ceremony, uh, there's a declaration of intention where each uh, husband and wife are asked, you know, will you live up to the, the expectations of marriage? And, and so you ask them, will you, will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others? Be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. It's in the the wedding vows, the covenant, that because you are now in relationship with this person, uh, your relationship with every other female or male, depending on who's getting married, right? My relationship with every other woman has now been dramatically changed. I have to look at it through my relationship with my wife. 
That's the idea of no other gods before me. Yahweh, the Lord, the faithful bridegroom, is telling Israel, forsake all other gods. Be faithful to me. And be faithful to me as long as you live. And so this is a... To me, this is a strong argument why you should keep verse 6 as part of the first commandment. This is just more of a technical academic thing, right? But when it says, which God should you keep faithful to, right? It's, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the house of Egypt, right? This is, this is part of the, the Jewish tradition to keep that as part of the first commandment, that verse 6 and verse 7 go together. Right? Our, our Reformed tradition will just say this is the important history, the preamble. But no matter what, right, verse 6 changes how you hear verse 7, which is to have no other gods. You have the Lord who is the king and the lawgiver saying, don't commit treason. Right? Don't turn your back on me. But it's also saying that he is the faithful husband who has already wooed, already cared for, already already provided, already delivered his bride, bringing them out of Egypt. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Forsake all other gods because he has given himself to you. You say, okay, what does that look like? That is what the larger catechism is so helpful. Um, way, way too much to process in one read, for sure. And so, right at, in the bulletin, we, we, we confessed what the first commandment requires. Um, we didn't read out loud together because it's really long. It's on the back of the Tajikistan paper. Uh, the particular sins that the commandment forbids. But what... what Trust him, trust his promises. It should affect your emotional life. You should delight and enjoy him. And, and at the very heart of who you are and what you do and why you do it, the idea is God should be at the very And that's just commanding us to do that, right? It hasn't told us what not to do. In the bulletin, right, it says what the commandment forgives, uh, forbids. Atheism. So there's, right, if you are in a relationship with God, you shouldn't argue that he doesn't exist. Right? That, that's the argument. You're in a relationship with the Lord your God, therefore atheism is not an option if you're a Christian. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Uh, it keeps going, right? S- self-love. Right? Obsessive self-love. It doesn't, you're supposed to love God first. Anything you give excessive attention to despising God's commandments, heresy, 
the idea is you don't have the right to determine who God is based on your own opinions, right? Don't make stuff up about the Lord. Believe what he says about himself. You can also break this commandment by taking credit for the good things we've done. All the good gifts that God has given and saying, no, I, I, I did this. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Right? So you can take some time to read this whole thing, but all of that is summed up by the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the heart is what is the... The cockpit of your life, right? It controls your behavior. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul. In Hebrew, that's the word nefesh. Um, it's, it's this idea of your, your whole life, right? Your, your throat is really important. It's, it's about the food you put in your, your body. It's the air in which you breathe. Um, to murder somebody is to take their nefesh, their soul, their life. Uh, to, to kidnap somebody, you'd be a nefesh stealer. So the idea is love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? You should control your behavior. It should affect every nook and cranny of your life. And then if that weren't enough, do it with all your strength. Right? Do this really, like put effort into it. <laughs> There's, that's why being lukewarm, right? Not even trying, just being, is something that Jesus uh, goes after in the book of Revelation. And the way you do that is to hear him, serve him, walk in his ways, keep his commandments. One other piece, if that weren't enough. And right, we're, we're, we're raising the bar to hear what, what this commandment is saying. Right? Have no other gods before me. The, the theological description of that is you and I, if you're in a relationship with God, we live our entire life, quorum Deo, before the face of God. Because the literal translation of before me in Hebrew is in my face or before my face. Um, some translations will say, have no other gods in my presence. Um, right, so God is not just saying, don't, don't give your allegiance to other gods. He's saying, um, remember your whole life now in relationship with the God who, who saved you is lived out face to face. Right? In front of God's face, he sees you. He's watching you. That's, that's, that, that was pretty much the whole, that can summarize the whole Psalms of Ascent. The Lord sees you, he loves you, he will guard and keep you. You live in front of God's face. It's in verse four. Remember when God entered into this covenant, he spoke to you face to face. Sure, you saw the fire and the mountain shake, but this, this was the Lord speaking to you. All right, and, and so if you're an Old Testament believer, they had this continual reminder, actually a visual aid, in the tabernacle. Um, so you remember the benediction uh, in number 6? 22, that we, we, we say this often, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, also his face, upon you and give you peace. Right? It's repeatedly saying this is how you bless God's people is remember, you have God's face shining on you. 
And along with that comes grace and peace. Right? Well, in the tabernacle, the way that was visually portrayed is you would go inside the, t- well, the priests would go inside the tent, and there was the, the seven can- candled uh, menorah that looked, was shaped like a tree. Right? So bright lights. And directly opposite the menorah was the table of God's presence. And on that table were 12 loaves of bread. One loaf for each tribe of Israel. And so you got the picture, right? Where is the light of God's presence shining on in the tabernacle? Visibly, it's on the 12 tribes of Israel, all those who are in this personal covenant, loving relationship with the living God. And so the argument is, don't cheat on the God who loves you in front of his face. And I I know this is uncomfortable, right? When you become a Christian, I, I mean, I've heard it this way, right? God sees, he's watching every single thing that you do. He knows every thought. He, he, his word pierces even to the intention of your heart. He knows the words that are on your tongue before you're about to speak it. Um, all of that is lived out before the face of the God who bought you. Which means unless you believe the gospel, this would be terrifying. God is watching. And so what the before me part of commandment number one is coming after us is saying, remember, your whole life, your faith is lived out in full view of the God who delivered you from slavery. So why in the world would you think it's okay to bring in another God into this relationship? You can read the prophets in Jeremiah and Hosea. It gets really graphic of saying, you guys are in Israel in broad daylight, up on the hills, uh, committing adultery with me, and you have no shame. Because the audacity, I mean, the image is one of the most painful things, covenant breaking, and you touch them. It's tempting for us to say, ah, we're modern people. We don't have other gods. We don't, we don't have Molech <laughs> or Baal or Dagon, the Philistine god. What, what other gods do we modern people bring in? Well, anything we give excessive or inordinate or unhealthy attention to that diverts our attention from God. In other words, the, the, the difficulty in keeping this commandment in front of God's face, right? It's not atheism out there as this philosophical problem. It's our practical atheism as believers. Our everyday atheism where we live our lives as if we are the Lord himself. And I have the right to determine what I'm going to do. And so Monday through Saturday we're tempted to live as God, as if God doesn't exist, as if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, as if I'm not forgiven, as if I don't belong to him in front of God's face. So you, 
you can get really pointed. Would a parent yell at their children and say hurtful words if you knew in your heart and really believed in your heart that God would bless them? Would you lie and twist the truth just to make yourself look good if you really believed in your heart that God was watching? Would you steal a lustful, longing glance at that attractive person if you knew God was watching? Would you be controlled by what other people think if you knew God's shining face, his gracious face was upon you? And the answer is, we do. (laughs) We're sinners. Now, one of the ways, um, I've I've quoted David Foster Wallace several times, but he has a really helpful way of thinking about this, talking to everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, of saying, Uh, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism because everybody's worshiping something. And this is a great reason to give your allegiance to at least some God outside this earth because if you worship anything on this planet, it'll pretty much eat you alive. If you think you're going to find meaning in life because you're beautiful, then you're always going to feel ugly, and as time and age kick in, you're going to die a million deaths before they plant you in the ground. If you live for power of being in control, you're going to feel weak and afraid and constantly fight for power to keep others at, away from you because <laughs> you want to have power over them. Right? If you worship your intellect, wanting to be smart, you're going to feel stupid. And it just keep, goes on and on, and the the def- the scary thing, and this is David Foster Wallace again, he says, you know, there, there are default settings for unconscious. Right? He pretty much just laid out the reform doctrine of total depravity <laughs> or complete inability. Right? And so the question we're being asked this morning is what other gods, cares, loves, Obsessions do you live for in full view of the Lord who loves you? Do do you feel that slavery still lingering in your heart? The anxiety in in the pit of your stomach that creeps up when you think about changing, that might be a good sign. Now, I'm talking about this uh, this way on purpose because I want us to see that if you and I could keep the first commandment, not only would you be truly free to love God and love your neighbor, but you, you would be an amazing person. <laughs> You'd be free from slavery. You wouldn't be, const- your, yourself wouldn't be a burden. Other people wouldn't be a burden. God wouldn't be a burden. It would be a joy. And since nobody in this room or on this planet can keep the first commandments to have no other God before me, Right? We, we need to hear how Jesus transforms this commandment. Right? And so remember who Jesus is. He is the Lord who became human and dwelt among us. That's John 1. He is, he is the God, the, the voice who spoke from the mountain, which means he is the loving lawgiver. 
the one who became human to become our loving law keeper for us to do what we couldn't do. And it also means then that Jesus is the faithful bridegroom who came to earth to free his bride, the church, from their slavery to sin, self, death, and Satan. Right? And the way he did that is he had to show us what a life lived in wholehearted obedience to, the, to God the Father looks like. Right? And so listen to some of the things Jesus said. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, as I judge, my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the one of him who sent me. So just imagine you're at a restaurant and you're, you're eating your dinner and creeping in on other people's conversations as you all do. <laughs> and you hear a grown man say, I can't do anything without my dad. What, what would you think? You'd say, oh, son of a bitch. You would assume, right, that either they haven't matured yet, maybe they're still like five, we would hope, or there's some unhealthy dependence on their parents. Right? But here's Jesus saying things like, I only do what my father tells me. I only say what my father tells me to say. You say things like, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. And if you were to stick a spear into Jesus' heart, he would bleed attesting to his father. That's exactly what happened on the cross. He stabbed him in the side, and as he was crucified, he literally read scripture in longing to his father in heaven. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even when God's turning his back, he's still living out no other gods before me. He's still longing for that very same God. Right? And he does that before his father's face, as his father turns his face away. See, that work of what Jesus does to free you and I from our sin, from our slavery to self, that transforms the before me part of the commandment, doesn't it? Right? I mean, think about this. Jesus is the only one who lived a truly free life because of his wholehearted devotion to his Father in heaven. He's the only one who can say, I have come to do everything that is written in this book, the life of Jesus Christ, the law and the commandments of Jesus Christ. And so when you start to think about Jesus and Slavery to your sins, the curse of the law, Satan and death. Therefore, love me, the Lord, with your heart, soul, and have no other gods above me. I mean, he said that, didn't he? Anyone who is ashamed of me in this life, I will be ashamed of you in my death. He's saying, be committed to me, the Lord, for Israel is my out Jesus is the loving law giver who kept the law of love cursed for our disobedience so that we could
also the true bridegroom who woos, cares, protects, delivers us through his death and resurrection. He has engaged us to himself in prayer. He's swearing to never leave nor forsake us. Therefore, love is one who regards you with approval. See why this is freeing? And why it transforms to before me when you see that he actually cares for you? He said, you live your life now before God's face in Christ with your life hidden in Jesus, the the only righteous one. And you and I are declared righteous because we had actually become righteous in Christ. That is the way God sees us and loves us.